Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is the 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Kuden. Uh, I'm not counting. I, you've been counting, sir. I, I haven't kept up with the count. Well, I, I know we're getting close page. to 50. 48. <laughs> we're at 48. I never which read is, titles. Which is, That's my know, problem. People are like, wow, 48. And I'm like, yeah, but we've been doing this for years. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, weekly, it's taken us a while. We only 48. Right. Well, we did it monthly, right? We did like one a month for like the first 13 episodes, um, something like that. And then yeah. it went on hold there for a while because <laughs> somebody moved. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was me. Uh, no, it just went on hold for a while, right? And then uh, we decided we were going to bring it back and do this weekly thing. And, man, we had got to 48 pretty quickly. And that was with vacations and some time off here or there or your job and my schedule getting in the way and all that. But, yeah, today's this is number 48, so we're only two wow. away from a huge milestone, yeah? Awesome. That's very, very cool. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we were talking here just before uh, we got things started and I'm just getting the post up now on the Kuden page on Facebook. So if you go there and uh, check it out, you can see we're, we're looking at doing a commemorative T-shirt design. So if you'd like to have a T-shirt and help us promote the podcast, you can go check it out, take a look, see what that looks like, and uh, give us your comments on the Facebook page. Yeah, so, um, and since it says it's also on iTunes, I'm hoping that uh, Apple or <laughs> iTunes or whatever gets everything okayed uh, by the time that, that T-shirt comes out. But, uh, yeah, so just let us know what you think of the uh, of the design. Eric designed it all by himself. He did, all by himself. Yay! Crayons, crayons and pencil. Anyway, no. Uh, <laughs> I stayed inside uh, the I, lines. <laughs> I think it looks awesome. Uh, but tell us what you think, and uh, now when we set this thing up, there is a minimum order that we have to, to deal with and all that, so, uh, you know, if, if we don't think we're going to do that, uh, or we're not going to make it, uh, we're probably not going to drop the cash on it, um, so this will be, a, you know, uh, we'll let you know what the minimum is, and then people jump on an order, uh, and at this point, just tell us what you think of the design, because we're looking at a couple of different um, t-shirt sources. Uh, not necessarily this one uh, where he posted it, right? So just look at that uh, because we think we can get set up with a with a different group that um, has actually a better ordering system where we can uh, we know what it's going to cost, and then uh, you know we we set uh, we set a goal. They tell us what's going to cost and how many T-shirts have to be sold, and then what happens is you'll order a shirt and you pay for it, but that payment goes in kind of a holding pattern. If you've ever ordered T-shirts online, a lot of them are set up like this, where it, it kind of goes into a holding pattern um, until the minimum number is reached. And when the minimum number is reached, then your payment gets processed and you get your shirt sent to you. If we don't hit the minimum, then everybody gets a refund back on their payment and no harm, no foul kind of thing, right? But I think this is an awesome idea. Um, 
And uh, who knows? I, I think for the 50th, we ought to, like, uh, have a prize or two and, and run a contest. And yeah, that might be people fun. people paying attention. Hmm. I'd like to I like that. people are paying attention. I like attention. that idea. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to be devious and figure out a way to do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, we'll figure it out. We've got we only have two episodes or two weeks to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Only so, only a couple more to go. No rush. No pressure. <laughs> I was just trying right. to do that ninja thing too, where I look into the future. So I was uh, hedging on the iTunes part of that. So really awesome. I'm thinking nice. of working done. on that. Uh, <laughs> working on that Kuji for breaking the bonds of time and space. Fantastic. Yes. That right. this is I like the coolest. Well, we've already done it here with the Kuden, right? I mean, you're on the West Coast. You're um, as the, I mean, we're in the now. We're both in the now, but you know, uh, by the clocks, you're three hours behind me. So I'm in your future. You're in my past. I don't know, whatever it is, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. broken the bonds of time and space. Um, it really becomes clear when you travel to Japan. Uh, you know, like when I would call back family and say, "I'm calling you from the future," because it's you know Tuesday there and only Monday here, kind of thing. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you you call Tuesday morning and it's still Monday night, uh, uh, right about dinner time where uh, your family is, and then you got to rush through the call because we got things to do, man. We're hopping on a train and going to visit something. I'll send you pictures, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, speaking of that too, anybody anybody looking to travel, and I know uh, you know you go often. Um, you know, advances in technology and free Wi-Fi has been great because when. I first went, it was like buy an international oh. calling card so you can try to card, you know, make absolutely. a quick call home. And now uh, if you're at a place that has Wi-Fi, you know, you can you can actually just like video just call somebody from call. Facebook yep. for free. Yeah, and, and there you go. Yeah, it's, Facebook, it's really cool. There's what, there used to be just be Skype, and now there's Skype and Facebook and Google and whatever, yeah. right? And it's just uh, it, it, it makes it easy. Um, so, uh, yeah, cool stuff. So there's a travel tip. All right. Okay. Good travel uh, tip. That's right. Good travel. Tip. <laughs> we had a lot. We had a lot of questions last week, and we were slammed with uh, great questions Ooh, last week. And I don't know. I think we tried to get through as many of those as quickly as we could, and we do have, as you mentioned, a, a question from Chris. We can get into, and also just one popping up through the Kuden page from uh, Josh. So uh, a couple oh, couple so questions surprised. here to get things going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well, Chris, you know, Chris got to jump on things. Chris got his in five hours early. That's what I was going to say. He's first in line by a long shot five hours ago. He said, I had a question. So um, it would be good to get right to that. Chris wins for sure. Way to be be timely. So uh, he says, good afternoon, sir. My question for today is what is the recommended time or rank to be able to teach? I've been trying to teach snow. Uh, front rolls and they still come out okay <laughs> they still come out side rolls i'm beginning to believe i'm too young in rank to be an effective teacher or i don't have the skills needed to help her at this time but i'm still learning myself that's a great question love that that's an awesome question because a lot of folks either they're teaching their kids or they're you know teaching some friends or maybe they have training groups uh and um you know that's that's one of those things where uh, I noticed this years ago because you've been through the instructor training program that we've yeah. we, uh, we've done it here at the school, right? And um, a couple of years ago, I, I put that online, but um, it was a really big thing. I mean, it was. I mean, the classes are like two and a half, three hours long, and it was a fifteen-week course or ten-week course or something like that. I don't know. But uh, 
that's that's just something that's that's hugely missing in the world of martial arts and self-defense. I mean, especially in martial arts, people just assume that once you get a black belt around your waist, then you can automatically teach. And nothing can be farther from the truth, right? I mean, you know the techniques, but there's a huge difference between knowing something and being able to convey that same knowledge to someone else based on their learning type, based on their age, based on their uh, personality type or background and experience in the world. And, and things like that, right? And, and on top of that, people have people have their own, uh, I'm going to use the word challenges, but um, another way to look at it might be like mental blocks, right? Mm. So they're, uh, they are uh, worried about certain things or they believe that they can or can't do certain things. Um, and that works in both, both directions. That, you know, that's why I said can or can't do, because somebody will look at something and think they understand it, and so they just jump right in and do it their way, uh, but they really didn't understand it. They it came through a filter that, you know, was based on a different fight system or whatever, and um, it, it just goes askew. Or they just, they believe they can't do it or whatever. So, <clears throat> um, as you know, the instructor training program is uh, is more based on how to be a good teacher. Right, so yeah. there's things in that program for uh, teaching kids classes. There's things in there uh, that have to do with um, the idea that uh, that your classes or your training group or your dojo will always be a reflection of you. So mm. if you're lacking on the discipline side or time management side or whatever, then your classes are going to look a certain way. They're going to feel a certain way. Uh, they're going to lack a certain type of structure or whatever, right? Whatever your preferences are, if you're teaching, um, it's going to sound kind of, no, it isn't, okay? If you're teaching from an egocentric standpoint and it's about you, uh, what I mean by that, and I'm not saying you to any individual, this is a blanket you, right? Um, but if you're teaching because you feel powerless on the rest of your life, so, you know, uh, uh, the significant other is in charge at home. Uh, you don't have power at work or whatever, right? Um, there, that's you know that that's going to create a certain type of program and a certain type of dynamic with your students. Uh, if you're teaching because um, uh, you know you've always wanted to teach and you've got this image of this black belt teacher who is like the god of his or her domain. You know, that mm. kind of thing, right? That's going to come across a certain way. So um, there's a whole section in that course on uh, leadership and developing the vision of what you want your program to be like. If you're developing a school or a training group, right, what is the feel or experience that your students will have? And uh, it really, it really um, focuses on the idea of um, teaching for and to the students, and what that that brings on a whole lot of things, right? Like you have to be able to speak there, listen, and you have to understand certain things. Like in Chris's case here with his daughter, um, I think Snow is Snow nine, maybe something like that. Okay, right. Um, so she's still she's still fairly young, still in that developmental stage. Her body's starting to even out, but at the same time, right? Nine year olds aren't as flexible. 
right? And they're not as strong because they don't climb trees and all that kind of stuff like we used to, well, like I used to when we were little, mm-hmm. right? They tend to have carpal tunnel has moved from the wrist to the thumb joints, right? Because they're on tablets or phones or whatever. So the body is, it's still, I mean, it's atrophying pretty good, right? Um, in her case, she's not overweight or anything like that, but you still have to look at things like head size relative to body, okay? Hmm. Because especially with, with little kids, right, um, the head is disproportionate in size to the body. So little kids, like in our TOTS program, <clears throat> unless a kid has, like, a really small head and he's going to grow up with a small head, they can't do shoulder rolls. Right, yeah. and doing forward rolls, right? They have to put their head on the floor, and then they end up flopping over onto their spine. So, uh, you know, we have to we have to adjust around that because we understand it. And, and part of Chris's thing here with being too young in rank, and see how he threw the rank thing in there because mm-hmm. Chris is close to my age, so he can't say that he's young, young, right? So, <laughs> anyway, he's too young in rank to be an effective teacher. I don't believe that's true. I think anybody can teach at any time. All that's required is that you know more than the person who's, who you're helping, right? I mean, I started teaching, I started my own, my first training group when I was a white belt. And while a lot of people's eyebrows would go up and, oh, how could you do that? You're not, you know, uh, chartreuse or purple or black or whatever belt. How can you possibly teach? I actually had a black belt ask me that one time. And I looked at him and I said, because I know more about this art than people that would be joining the school. Mm-hmm. Okay? And if that's a problem for anyone, if you need a certain color around my waist, we have two options. Okay, I can take off this green belt and I can put a black belt around your waist so, or my waist so you'll feel comfortable, or you can not join my school. I mean, that's the only two options, right? The, the third yeah. option is I don't do anything and I don't help anybody, and you go away. And this was way back in the um, – where was I? That was the late 80s. So the art was still fairly new in this country, right? We didn't have, yeah. you know, Shihan and Shidoshi, you know, plastered up and down the eastern seaboard of the United States. I mean, um, I, I don't even know if there were more than two or three of us in the state of Pennsylvania. Wow. Then. There might have been a bunch of people doing things, but as far as having training groups and all that. So, and the, the Internet was not big then, right? So finding yeah. someone who had a black belt, that you could go to that lived close enough that it was convenient, right, uh, was very, very difficult. So, you know, or, you know, you go away and you wait till I make my black belt, then you come back because the color around my waist is all that is really a prerequisite. And if that's true, if that's the prerequisite, then that is one reason that a lot of people get ripped off by a lot of charlatans who set themselves up as a martial arts master and all they went and did was bought a uniform and, and a certain color belt and made up a backstory and, you know, then you have what you have. But anyway, back to Chris's thing here. So um, I, I think it's the second part of his statement where he doesn't have the skills needed to help her at this time, um, but I'm still learning myself. And so it's not about the skills. Um, well, it is about the skills and it's not about the skills. You have certain skills, but when it comes to teaching, I think what's lacking more is the experience and the understanding of how to take somebody progressively from where they are to where you know they need to be. And also hmm. accepting that certain people, either at a certain stage in their life or because of their body makeup or who they are or whatever, <clears throat> are, might never get to 
the point where you are where you know they should be, okay, because of stiffness or some other kind of body ailment or age or whatever, yeah. right? So, so uh, again, the, the instructor training program, and, you know, I've been thinking about that more and more. It, I, I offer it, and, and I'm going to give Chris access to this thing so he can go through the lessons and one of my other guys because we were going to do it. And I had, like, a total of two people in-house in interested in it, so um, I didn't do it again. But I'm probably going to do, like, a 2.0 uh, version of the program, and I'm going to do it live again. Um, and hmm. we're just going to chunk it down. So where there were three different modules uh, in it, I'm going to turn that into three different programs. So there will be one on leadership, right, becoming the instructor your students need. I think that's a good tagline. Hey, remember that. Mm -hmm. Write that down. Okay. Uh, second one is the actual uh, instructing, okay? And this it doesn't have anything to do with techniques and how many skills you know or don't know because, again, you just need to know more than the students that, that you're getting, right? Um, it has more to do with how to communicate and help people get over challenges and things like that. So uh, there's neuro-linguistic programming stuff in there, like how to pre-frame a student, how to reframe a student so they, get, they, they can progress faster, uh, all kinds of things, right? Um, how to structure classes, uh, how to set, how to create lesson plans. Um, uh, what else is in there? My goodness, uh, there is a module on uh, teaching younger students. Um, you know, whatever. So uh, those things are in there. And then the other module that'll be spun out is for people that actually want to have a training group or a dojo. And so the things in there were about how to how to promote such a thing, right? Um, things about naming and. Uh, marketing and stuff like that that a lot of people want to shy away from because, you know, they don't want this commercial venture. I'm uh, sorry, dude. I mean, if you get something in return for the lessons, I don't care if it's a dollar, right? Um, it's It can be considered commercial, but whatever word makes you feel good. Kind of like when we had that debate with people about whether this was a podcast or an online radio show. Remember that? Right? Yeah. So use use the word that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy and you know, don't use the words that make you feel all creepy, um, even though they're the same thing and all you did was switch, switch things out, right? But, uh, you know, the, our times now are where people get to uh, change the definition of words or use some other word, um, you know, as a replacement. You know what I'm talking about. So anyway, yeah. um, I want to headbutt those people in the face. Anyway, so um, <laughs> uh, what I think what it comes down to is the experience here. So um, here are my suggestions uh, I'm just going to use your daughter as an example, Chris, and I'm going to use the, the idea of rolling here, okay? So, one, until she develops the flexibility uh, to be able to, to do this, and or maybe she grows a little bit more and the head size isn't disproportionate with the body size, okay? Um, and, and she can actually do a roll from shoulder to hip, right? Be okay with her entering the roll in the correct position and coming out in a side roll, okay? Mm -hmm. the, the point at the moment is to get her to, to roll over smoothly, all right? Then she will figure it out on her own if you give her the next step, which is I want you to do this roll. Ignore the roll part itself because right now I'm going to look at the end result because especially with kids, right, they will resolve this problem on their own and figure out how, what their body has to do because they know where they need to be, Okay. So the next step then is to just have her enter a role. I don't care what it is, um, and she has to come out in a kneeling guard or a kneeling ichimonji, kneeling seigan, okay, facing the direction that she came from, okay? Uh, and she's going to find that for a while if she's doing 
kind of a beginner side roll, her legs and feet aren't under her or they're not under her enough, right? So the more she works on that, the more she will get those things in place. And if you um, don't focus so much on the roll as opposed to creating drills where it puts a little bit of pressure on her, where she has to come out of that roll faster in the correct position, uh, you know, because maybe you uh, put her in a start position, wherever she's going to be, right, and you start moving in her direction, and she has to roll away from you, right, and the only thing that's going to stop you from walking up and tagging her, whether it's a finger on her forehead or you're going to touch her on the shoulder or you've got a, one of these pool noodles that we get and cut them into three or four pieces so you've got this soft club or whatever it is that you're doing with her, right, um, you're going to do that uh, faster and faster. And the only way, uh, at least the way this game works, the only way to stop you is for her to come out in proper kamai pointing, where that kamai is pointing at you, right? So if it's sideways or if she's exposing targets or it's bad kamai or whatever, um, you're going to reach out and tag something. But if she's in proper position, which she knows what that is standing, right? She already knows that. So uh, if she's in proper position, then you'll stop. Okay, so that, that making it a game, right, will make it fun, but giving her a clear objective and rules for the game uh, will motivate her to get into the proper position, okay? But in the beginning, especially with kids uh, or people that are better, we'll use the word bigger, right? What I mean is fat, okay? Uh, nobody likes to use that <laughs> word because it's somehow demeaning, but um, it's not demeaning. If you're fat, you, you know it, right, because round is a shape, right? I mean, I'm, I'm carrying things on me, and I don't say, well, I'm a big guy. Uh, no, I'm in a gut, okay? Um, but anyway, uh, I've always said that people that look like they're the shape that rolling should be easy um, can't roll very well at all because <laughs> they've got too much padding between the skeletal structure and what's going to be touching the ground. So, but you work it out, right? So, um, uh, again, the, the point here is, is in the progress, right, and, and allowing the student to move incrementally from where they are to where you need them to be and having the patience to allow that to happen, okay? Uh, because, you know, and again, you don't want to make it not fun, especially for kids, you don't want to make it not fun. But this crosses over for adults as well, okay? So uh, you'll learn more as you go, but... Uh, uh, well, well, we'll end this little thing and see if anybody has any questions, but um, there's, there's a lesson that's right up front in the instructor training program that very clearly reminds the instructor the, or the instructor-to-be or whatever, right, about their responsibility and the consequences of getting this wrong, okay? And they can blame the students, they can blame the universe, they can blame whatever they want, but there is responsibility, right? And so the, one of the first lessons is that every class you teach, right, your student or students are either one step closer to black belt or they are one step closer to the door, okay? They're one step closer to quitting, right? And every class that you do. Now, now this is an every class thing, but this is also cumulative. Right, because if you have uh, a well-structured thing and you have a great atmosphere and you have a good per you know, personal relationship with your students, and I don't mean personal like you're on first-name basis and all that. I mean the teacher-student relationship is still there, but they know that you care, 
They know that you're not mm-hmm. an arrogant ass, right? They, they know, right? When they have their challenging classes or you have to tell them, no, something is off or it needs to be fixed or whatever, right, um, that doesn't have the same kind of sting as the instructor who, uh, you know, they're a showdown or whatever it is, right, and they're, they're just overly critical, right? They're, they're not forgiving. They know how something should be done correctly, but they forgot how they first started and progressed through things. Okay, so yeah. now they act like, you know, they were always perfect. So everything the student does, no, no, that's not right. Or when they fix something, they don't say anything about the fact that that's fixed. They go on to the next mistake, right? So uh, that that PCP, no, that's not a drug. That PCP thing that we use for neurolinguistic <laughs> programming, which is the praise correct praise um, formula, right? Which, as you know, um, I don't use a whole lot in the uh, Shobi Kai program because to be in the Shobi Kai program, you have to have thicker skin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have to be willing to get hit harder and thrown harder and all that kind of stuff, right? But so that's for new correct, students, correct, absolutely. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But praise correct phrase. And I still use it, but I don't use it as consistently as I do with other students uh, where, you know, I, before I even make a correction that I know their their mental blocks will come up for, their ego will resist, right? The first thing I do is I praise something that they're doing well so that there's at least a balance going on, right? And then I'll correct something, and then they'll do it again. And even if they do it five more times and they haven't fixed it, I'll say, you know what, we'll keep working on it, Okay. So it's at least a motivational uh, praise, right, where I'll say, I, I know you'll keep working on it, right, and we'll both nod and, and we'll go on, right? Um, but even if they made a tiny incremental change, right, just a little change, I'll go, okay, great, all right, that's, that's good. We'll keep, we'll keep building on that, okay? Uh, so what the, what the instructor training program really is is a way to it, – it's teaching instructors – how to be a good mentor, a good, uh, not just a conveyor of knowledge, not just a conveyor of data, okay, and not a show-off or whatever, right? How to take somebody who knows absolutely nothing or way less than you and help that person develop to the highest level that they're capable of, okay? Uh, because we also have three, we have three different um, definitions that we lay out uh, very early on the program. And uh, they are uh, for the word uh, teacher, for the word instructor, and for the word coach, okay? And uh, by defining these things, then people can see maybe where their mentality was and how that could be affecting the student-teacher relationship, how quickly somebody will quit your program, uh, whether you're actually, you know, nurturing somebody or you're favoring some and not others and whatnot. Okay, uh, and we'll, we can cover that another time if, if people want to. But um, so, Chris, you're not—you know enough to teach her how to do these things. You know what it looks like. Okay, you can be crippled, but as long as you know what it looks like and you can describe it and help her move through it, right? She'll she'll eventually get it. Um, but don't expect you know miracles first off. And the other thing that you can't control is Snow's desire to get this right, or Snow's desire to just do it good enough. You can't change that. Okay? You can motivate her to want to do it better. Right? You can explain why it's important. And that's why we do these drills and games. Because when you start putting pressure on, 
and the student collapses, or I don't mean collapses like passes out, but uh, you know they're, they're in a position, and because of stress or whatever, they trip, they fall, uh, they come out of a roll, and you know they can't get upright because of the tension and pressure and all that. Now it becomes a real world uh, lesson for them, a real world experience as to why it has to be done the way you're explaining it as opposed to the way they think it should be done, right? So things need to be pressure tested, but we don't need to throw her into a, you know, throw her into the hood and let a bunch of thugs jump on her or whatever to make sure that her rolls are working right, right? You can pressure test things little by little and work it that way, okay? So um, I don't know. I don't, even, I don't know if Chris is on at this point because I can't see who's, who's actually signed in on the uh, – thing unless they actually signed in question-wise. So uh, let me just double-check here. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't see anything. So I don't see that he's on. So uh, Chris is seeing me in class. Uh, so Chris, if that helps, let me know. Uh, you can also shoot me an email or a PM on Facebook or something like that. Um, let's see. Uh, Eric, you've, you taught at the school for a while. Yeah. You went through the instructor training program and stuff like that. So what would you tell Chris? Um, oh, well, would you answer yeah, specifically on the rolling thing, it's kind of funny. I've I've been, you know, working with my son who's seven, so probably relatively same age as his daughter, and you sure. know, we did some of the rolling exercises, and a couple things that jumped out at me because the same thing would happen. It, it, it happens with a lot of the kids that it comes out as a side roll. That's pretty common from my recollection in the school as well. Is yeah. uh, some of it, like you mentioned, is like uh, kids just needing to kind of figure out how their bodies are going to move when doing these rolls. And they're they're in their heads a lot thinking about, okay, I'm supposed to do what I was instructed to do to do this roll, and they don't really commit to actually rolling. So they start the roll, and then there's no energy to it, and it turns – they get like halfway into the roll, and then there's no other room for them to go but to kind of turn over onto their side because they didn't really – get into the role or give it enough kind of momentum to actually do the full role. So oftentimes, right. you know, helping the kids give a little push to scoot to get that role going, and then it comes out as a front role. Like, then they go, oh, okay. So that can be helpful if you kind of help them through the role a few times uh, to, right. to, to help their bodies kind of feel like, oh, yeah, I need to, I need to get into the role and not give up kind of halfway through. And then often, uh, you know, just working on rolling myself, I know it's the breathing out through the roll, trying to trying to breathe through the roll so you don't have that big block of air uh, in your lungs that kind of goofs up and, and becomes a block oh, that'll to throw even being the able best to roll. Per, even the best uh, person who can roll um, off to the side. Because in yeah. the advanced uh, levels, we teach you guys to reverse the lessons, right? Because there are times when you want to hold your breath because it will put the brakes on things. There's other times you want to push the air out faster, and that actually increases the speed of the roll inside the roll, right? Um, so, uh, but the other thing, too, is, uh, and this is for both you, Eric, and, and Chris, and anybody else that's helping to teach your kids, um, and to teach adults, right? It may be necessary for you to upgrade lessons that either you taught them or somebody else taught them a long time ago. And I don't mean in martial arts. I mean about their body, okay? So think about this for just a moment. When you were teaching your child body parts, what did you point at or identify as the shoulder? And what did you point at and identify as the hip? Because if you want your child to do a shoulder roll and you say, I want you to roll from your shoulder to your hip, they're going to roll from what they learned as the shoulder to the hip 
or from the All hip right. to the shoulder. And that, by its very definition, if you if you pointed to the to the connection where the arm plugs into the torso, right, that point right there as the shoulder, they've got a twist going into it. It's always going to turn into a side roll. And they're aiming yeah. for a point above their butt muscles, right? So we have to upgrade the lesson and redefine things for them and let them know that we want them to roll from the shoulder muscle and identify it. Touch the trapezius yeah. muscle, right, below, you know, above the scapula on the back, above the shoulder blade, and they're going to roll to their hip muscle, which is actually your butt muscle, right? And now that brings everything closer to the spine. So sometimes you need to, you know, you need to look beyond things. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I was taught a long time ago as far as being an instructor, right, that um, a good instructor has the same kind of diagnostic ability as a medical expert. And I don't mean like the average doctor, right, like your internist or whatever, okay, uh, where they can diagnose the cold, you know, between a cold and the flu and between, you know, this and that or whatever. But we start going into specialized areas, right, they send you off to somebody, they send you to a brain surgeon or an oncologist or, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like like a, an ex-wife of mine, uh, she blew out her, her ACL, right, her anterior cruciate mm. ligament, that one of the things that holds the knee together um, in the back, right? When we were out dancing and she stepped back at, between songs to let somebody walk by to get off the dance floor, and because of the way she always stood uh, in the morning when she's put her makeup on and all that stuff, her toes would be up and her knees would be locked. And I kept warning her about this, and her response, which is, <laughs> that led to other things, right? But her response was, yeah, if it hasn't happened now or by now, it's never going to happen. Uh, okay, you just keep doing that. Well, what ends up happening is you weaken the thing, and then well, she took a step backwards, and this uh, ACL just went, screw it, I'm done, and ripped uh -huh. right off its anchor point. Okay, oh. so that that gave her a horse hock for half a second. Now she restabilized, and we can get it braced and all that. And she ended up having surgery. But the point is, she went to the doctor, and there was a uh, like an internist or a resident or whatever uh, that was cycling through orthopedics, right? Um, and the doctor that she saw, and I've actually seen him when my knees were um, having some problems here not too long ago, and. Um, He's like number six in the country for sports injuries involving elbows, shoulders, and knees. That's his specialization. Okay, um, so you know he's there with this this resident, and the, she knows she the, the, she's describing the pain and all that kind of stuff. I mean, at this point, we don't know what's wrong. Um, she's describing the pain and everything, right? And the, the specialist looks at the resident and says, "Okay, so what do you hear?" Okay. Well, it could be this, it could be this, you know. So he's naming all these things in the in the knee that connect things together, and the specialist shakes his head no. He says, "Listen to the words she uses, okay, Mrs. Miller. Can you describe that again, right?" So and he stops her right at this one word. You see, you hear that word right there, okay? And where the pain is, it can only be one thing. It's the ACL. All we have to determine now is to what extent it's torn, mm. okay? Uh, because all he had to do was hear a description of what's going on. He knows it so well, okay? Yeah. And see, that's the difference between, and, we, you know, I'm talking to Chris here with, about experience with teaching. It's a difference between somebody who uh, has maybe just learned something or is just parroting their teacher, which is fine, right? You will grow as an instructor with more and more experience. But 
Uh, and you'll also, being an instructor, also increases your um, your understanding of your art as well. I'm sure you would agree with that, Eric. Uh, yeah. You just start to learn more because you have to explain it four different ways instead of just the way you learned it, right? So, um, uh, but there's a difference between somebody that, that, you know, tells a student that's wrong, right, do it this way, and demonstrates it again and again or keeps explaining it again and again this, the exact same way because that's the only way that you know to explain it because either that's the way they learned it, that's the way their teacher explained it, and that's how they got it or whatever, but they only know one way. So, But it's not crossing the, the comprehension barrier because either that person has a different Seder type, so they, they um, process the world with a different sensory kind of thing, right? Um, they have a different learning type or whatever, okay? So you get this person that's just doing that or – a person uh, who's next up who go who knows well it could be this could be this could be this. so they're naming off these things okay well you tried that that didn't work so let's try this right but then you have the instructor who's like that that knee specialist right who can look at you from across the room and go stop trying to fix your front foot I it's I know we, I know it keeps not pointing at your partner okay stop trying to fix your front foot it's not a front foot problem it's a back leg problem. Okay, Re readjust the positioning of your back foot, and that will automatically move your hips a certain way, and you'll be able to point your front foot at the bad guy. Okay, so they, they know not just the moves, but they know what and anatomically and physiologically with the human body is causing the error. Does that hmm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, you know, and then, like I said, there's these other things, right? Knowing how to communicate with somebody who is an experiential leader uh, or learner uh, or like a tactile learner, how to communicate and teach a technique to somebody who's visual, uh, how to teach to somebody who's uh, auditory, how to teach to somebody who is uh, conceptual, right? Those are just four learning types, right? Um, and being it, then once you know that, right, you can demonstrate a technique four, five, six times, before you send the students off to do whatever, but you're going to do it those couple of times, but, you know, you're, you're explaining it differently each time. Some students aren't going to get some explanations. Other ones are going to get others, right? And still all of them are, you know, among all of them, you're going to have the, the people that are experiential. So you send them off to work on things, and none of it's computing until you walk over and literally grab them and position their body where it needs to be so they can feel that position for them to get it, right? So, um, again, you know, it's just – but like I said uh, originally, the martial arts is the only discipline that's out there where people are – there's this belief that, you know, you make it the black belt and then you go from practitioner to teacher because, well, you know, you have a black belt, okay? But you're not a – are you a teacher, and again, we have those definitions and stuff that we can look at some other time, but um, it, it, it's not that easy. All right, every other discipline that's out there, you go to people who have been trained to be educators. Right? You don't just, you know, and I know they have on-the-job training and stuff like that, but um, you know, the OJT on-the-job training um, is usually what's being conveyed is task work, not understanding right? yeah why do we do it this way well we just do it so do x y z 
fill out this form, don't miss anything kind of thing. I mean, that's typical on-the-job training kind of things, right? There's no reasoning behind it unless you run into somebody who was in on the, you know, the, the strategic design or, or whatever. So anyway, um, hopefully that was helpful to Chris. Let's see if it was anybody else um, has anything else. Yeah, and I would say, too, just to comment on, you know, you mentioning the instructor training program, um, what a great program that is. Just uh, so many things uh, we work on apply to life far outside just the dojo and the training hall uh, and oh, on yeah. the floor with students. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I work in a managerial role and have for many years, and the core of what I learned for dealing with people, I can point directly back to that instructor training program, things like the pre-framing, the PCP, um, you know, all those things that still apply to the role I work in today, managing people and how to manage people and just so applicable to so many things. Right. Well, you know, the program was wrapped around teaching martial arts, right? So it's a martial arts instructor training program, right? But I could take it out of a dojo and, you know, make it an instructor training program for nurses, for real estate people, for, you know, whatever, right? It's just you need to put it into the context for those other things, but at the moment it's wrapped around that. I've had other people, you know, that they said that, um, my God, once I learned those things, um, the way I communicated with my kids to teach them things and to explain things and all that or to, to overcome challenges or resistance for things or whatever, oh, it works like a charm because it's universal. They're universal lessons. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's important stuff. So, yeah. Cool. So we did have a question right. from Josh come in on the Facebook side, um, and he, he has a question here about a, about a roundhouse kick. He says, is there a, is there a roundhouse kick in Taijutsu? Uh, it says, you don't see this kick common to a number of other martial arts in the ninja books today. Any thoughts as to why? Oh, yeah. So in Taijutsu, uh, traditionally, no, there's not a roundhouse kick. Uh, a lot of those kicks that people uh, have seen or whatever typically can be traced back to Korean-type uh, martial arts. Um, and uh, I'm not going to go into the history of these things or whatever, but um, these a lot of these kicks were designed uh, to kick a soldier or a warrior who was on horseback uh, or mounted some way or at a higher elevation, and the person who was doing it, right, was not in armor. So there is the biggest reason why we don't have a lot of those kicks, because you can't do them in armor. And for anybody that, that wants to argue with me, go put on a suit of authentic armor that weighs what you weigh or close to it, and then pitch your body and lift your leg up in the air and see what happens. <laughs> what ends up happening on a battlefield when you do dumb stuff like that is you end up on your face or on your back like a turtle who can't get back up again, and then somebody comes along with a sword or some other weapon or whatever and sticks it in you, and then it keeps on moving. Okay, So uh, we have the kicks that we do because they're all done from a body position where you're upright. Now, in Mod 1, have I put in lateral knees and lateral shins and all that? Yes. There are exceptions to the rule but they're still done differently than they're done in a lot of martial arts. Like, we don't kick at the head, okay? You want to kick yeah. somebody in the head, you take their legs out from under them, and then when they're on the ground, feel free to kick them in the head, okay? But the legs are designed for attacking. We're well, not really designed, but strategically and tactically, they make better uh, weapons to attack low on the body, and the hands make better weapons for attacking high on the body, right? So, um, but, yeah, no, we don't have them. 
uh, and the reason why is because of the armor considerations, okay? If you're good at them and you want to do them, that's fine. However, uh, you'll also find in, there's a couple of other martial arts that don't have them, uh, like, um, uh, like the Filipino martial arts, okay? Uh, I knew a guy a long mm. time ago who's really, really good at this stuff, and um, he pointed out why, and now, it's not that they won't do them, there's still, again, there's exceptions, right? But where a lot of these people, like if you if you watch a, a Taekwondo or a karate tournament or whatever, often people will just start chambering that leg and, and hopping around, waiting to throw a kick as like their initial attack, okay? Uh, a bunch of years ago, in the 70s and 80s, uh, the top guy uh, that was a kicker on the sport uh, circuit, uh, his name was Bill Superfoot Wallace. His nickname was Superfoot, right? Bill Wallace. Hmm. And um, I remember reading an article by him in Black Belt Magazine, I think. And this was this was a bunch of years ago, right? Um, I think he had a column. And uh, this specific article was about don't do don't do this kick on the street, right? I know, and this is what he said: I know that I am best known for my high kicks. And he was. I mean, this guy could like do ultra splits and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. And he kicked somebody in the head. It was really fast and, and those kind of things, right? He said, I know that, that this is what I'm best known for, but in a self-defense situation on a street in a back alley, I'm not going to do that, okay? The reason for that is it's uh, now I'm only on one leg. I'm leaning. It's easier to take me off balance, and I'm exposing my groin and my femoral artery to a potential knife attack or, you know, broken bottle, whatever. And that's exactly what this Filipino martial artist said at one point, that, you know, while they may do them uh, when somebody's really off balance or, or out of whack or whatever, you would never initiate it with that because historically, traditionally, whatever term people want to use for this is typically how it was done. Uh, Filipinos, um, typically, when they were out working or whatever, there's a knife in the, in the sash or whatever mm. that's that's out diagonally, right? To be able to handle uh, jungle animals like a snake or you know, a monkey that's attacking or whatever, right? Or to be able to cut brush or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. across in the sash thing, right? Almost like uh, a jute or a tanto would be slid into our uh, our obi, mm. right? So it's there. So uh, you know, he said you never initiate with a kick, and here's why. And he had somebody demonstrate a kick, shifted out of the way, drew that knife out, and cut right across the femoral artery, and said. Now we're done. We just back off three, mm. four steps because he's going to bleed out very, very quickly, right? So you just don't do those. There's certain things that you don't do. And I, I just heard this recently. What's this? Uh, it was just a, what, something that teachers have, have told me over and over again, but somebody just used it in a cultural context. And I think it had to do – it must have been a, uh, one of these political arguments or whatever, right? Um, everybody wants to be free to do whatever they want to do. And that's fine, but don't forget that there's consequences to choices that we make. So, you know, uh, like I, I typically am a direct person and I tell the truth and things like that. But at certain times, I will tell a student closer to what they want to hear than the God's honest truth because I know what their personality type is like. And if I wreck them, they will mm-hmm. go away and then I can't help them at all, right? So I yeah. – Give them a little at a time, just like with our kids, right? Do a little bit at a time, right? So here's where the lesson came in that teachers taught me a long, long time ago, okay? You can do anything you want, 
okay? I mean, you, you're, you're a grown-up, right? You live in a free country unless you're calling in from some other country that's not, right? Um, you, you know, you live in a free country. You're free to do whatever you want or whatever. But um, based on consequences and doing, you know, an assessment of the situation that you're in or the dynamic of, you know, who you're dealing with and stuff like that, um, some things are probably not a good option, okay? So, you know, and you have to take responsibility for your part in things, right? So, anyway. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so the, the quick answer is no, we don't have those in Taijutsu, in, in traditional Taijutsu, and two, the why is because of armor, and, and if you tilt or whatever. And remember, so, you know, most people that are doing these arts today that would argue with me, right, are in specially made shoes designed to allow them to pivot on their foot, right? Because if you do that stuff in uh, basketball shoes on a basketball court or certain tile floors or whatever, your sneaker is going to stick to the floor and you're going to twist your leg right off your ankle, okay? If you do it on a wet surface, snow, ice, gravel, whatever, your base foot's going to slip out from under you and you're going to find yourself on your face. Okay. Um, but in Japan, nature Japan, they were either in straw sandals, which did not run the entire length of the foot, by the way. They only ran from, like, the edge where the toes are, where the toes connect, not the tip of the toes, where the toes connect, to not quite the back of the heel, okay? And they're tied on around the front of the foot, so they slip and slide. So you can take your foot in and out of these things, right? So think shower shoes, Okay. And, or they were barefoot, and now they're on a slippery, muddy, bloody battlefield, right, where footing is at a premium, right? You, you need to make sure that you not only have good secure footing, but you have good body alignment so that you're not fighting against gravity, okay? So if you tip your body weight doubled, right, or your upper body weight doubled, right, and then try to hold that up for, for one of these kicks, it's not going to work well, right? So, yeah, um, yeah no, uh, th and that's why, right? So, uh, you know, can we integrate them? Can you do it? Sure. Uh, we've always told people when they come to us for, for training that they've been in other martial arts, that, you know, I don't want you to throw anything away that you've learned before, okay? What you may find is that it's that there's a better way to deliver that. You know, like those uh, back uh, hooking kicks, right? That uh, like a, I think they sometimes they call it an axe kick or whatever, where your leg um, swings from the inside to the outside and then hooks back, so you can hit them with the heel, right? Um, I teach that in the context of an escape when somebody's doing a rear hip throw or something like that to you, and your leg comes up mm -hmm. off the ground, and you can do that to kick into their spine or their kidneys or whatever to give yourself an out, right? But I, I wouldn't do that standing in front of them when they can intercept it, they can avoid, they can pull a, you know, if they've got a blade or whatever. Um, just not a good idea, which also, mm. you know, crosses over into once you learn your techniques, right, once you've done the, the uh, shoe part of your training, the protect, the copy kind of part of your training, and you learn the technique and you start to move on to the dynamics, right, the how, where you're starting to vary things and all that, you also start to need to start asking your asking yourself these questions, right? Um, under what context would this technique be a good idea? Under what context or what situations would this not be a good idea, right? 
what are the best situations that this would work against or the, the best attacker types, the builds relative to my body and things like that so that you start to think more tactically and more strategically instead of just having a whole toolbox full of things that you just throw at the, throw at the attacker like, um, well, you know, these postmodern artists that just dunk some brushes in paint buckets and then whip <laughs> it at a, at a canvas and then give it a name like, oh, polar bears screwing in the snowstorm or, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> they, they come up with these things and people are like, oh, I can really see it. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, he had paint, he had brushes, he stuck it in there and just started flicking and whipping it around and making patterns like he was in preschool. So, um, yeah, so we don't want to be doing that with our techniques. We want to make sure that, you know, we have technique, but we also have the tactical understanding of where's the best positioning, what's the best angle, what's the best approach uh, relative to his body positioning that will make my delivery of the technique better, faster, more efficient, more successful, and then having the strategic thinking uh, and the ability to assess the situation so I know which tool to pull out of the toolbox against this attacker in this scenario, in this environment, you know, in my condition or state, I got the flu and I just don't feel like moving very much, you know, that whatever it is, right? So how's that going to work? Uh, you know, if he pulls a blade, if he, you know, whatever, okay? So, um, yeah, so hopefully that was a quick and easy for Josh, and I yeah. appreciate when he tosses one of these things out there. I think sometimes we have uh, <laughs> that he's doing. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we have uh, <laughs> we have just a couple minutes left in in the program. Uh, I think we've got time for one more quick question. Tim posted a question here on on the website about uh, do physical training standards differ now from when you started training, and uh, what are or were they? Um, in my programs, uh, there's there's an S on the end of that, right? Uh, yeah, there are different uh, physical standards. Um, when the program that I went through, uh, lots of people would dock it and say that well, it wasn't real ninja too, because that's not the way they did it in Japan. Uh, okay, fair enough, right? <laughs> but in the program that I went through, um, for each belt level, we had uh, certain exercises, like uh, we had to be able to do so many push-ups uh, at one level, so many sit-ups at another one, so many pull-ups at another one. We had to be able to run a mile in, what was it? Five minutes, I think, something like that. Mm. Um, and uh, now these are things that our instructor, uh, our teacher, let us do on our own. But here was this thing, right? Um, so uh, at the at the current moment, I don't have those things worked into uh, my uh, basic program or what we call our mastery leadership program, which is for folks that just want to learn Budo Taijutsu or you know the, the basic arm self defense with maybe a little bit of weapons, and they want to get to black belt. Uh, I don't have that for them. For my Shinobi Kai people. Um, I highly suggest it, right? So um, are they different? Tim, the short answer to this is everything in the Bujinkan is very different from when I started training, and it has changed multiple times since 1980, okay? Um, So here's the thing, right? Uh, When it comes to physical training standards, um, I think you need to look at your context, okay? Okay. one, you need to be fit enough to do your, your, your techniques and, and things like that, right? Uh, you need to be flexible enough to do certain things. If you don't have those, there will be certain techniques or certain kata or whatever that you encounter that you're just not going to be able to do. Those aside, right, those aside, there are still other survival things that 
have nothing to do with fighting another human being, okay? Case in point, it's going to take a certain amount of strength to open the latch on a bulkhead door on a plane that is down, hasn't vaporized, and you need to get out, okay? So no amount of Ichimonji training, no amount of Sanchi, no amount of anything like that is going to allow for, uh, you know, you to move that, that latch and all the, um, what do you call them, the uh, flight attendants make it look really easy, right? That just should point to just how strong that cute stewardess is, right? Um, but think about your context and, and what you might have to do. I had to, uh, was it back in 2005 when my car went off that freaking cliff, um, I had to climb up a snow-covered uh, bank. It was a cl- basically part of a cliff, right? And all I had to grab a hold of were uh, the roots from trees and, and underbrush and all that kind of stuff that were sticking out of the, uh, of the dirt that the snow was covering, right? So, uh, and I was on, I, this, was, this was a pretty sheer kind of thing, right? I mean, not straight vertical, but it's pretty sheer, right? And um, I had to do vertical climbing. And my, the grip that I had wasn't like normal rock climbing. It was like rope climbing with my hands while rock climbing with my feet. Okay? And I had to be able to get up that, that uh, incline to be able to get help. Right? So, um, yeah, are they different? Sure. But at the same time, see, here's this other caveat, right? Should, should these physical fitness standards be the same? for a 50- or 70-year-old as they would be for a 20-year-old? And Hatsumi Sensei's answer is no. Okay? Mm. If you're 50, train like a 50-year-old. Okay? Now, of course, you want to know where your limitations are, so you don't just make an excuse that, well, I'm 50, I'm never going to be able to do that. No. And Chris would uh, agree with this as well, because Chris just said 50, and, you know, the body gets in the way, and it's telling you to slow down, and all your family's telling you you need to act like a 50-year-old. And Chris is like, yeah, okay, well, I know what the limits for a 50-year-old are. Um, I'll stop there, right? So, you know, his, his knees pay the price, mine too, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But um, it doesn't, doesn't relieve you of, of these things. But anyway, you know, that's what Sensei would say is if you're 70, train like a 70-year-old. If you're 50, train like a 50-year-old. There's more to it than just the physical fitness stuff. There's also context and what you might have to be able to do. Uh, against a certain type of an attacker at that age and you know, whatever, right? So um, that also crosses over, you know, if you're a law enforcement officer or a security officer, then train like you're a law enforcement officer or a corrections officer. If you are a, uh, a nurse, there are certain, atta- certain types of attacks that nurses have to deal with or medical professionals have to deal with. So train like you're a nurse or a medical professional. What that means is to tailor your training to your specific needs and circumstances, right? So um, hopefully that answered the question, right? Uh, do physical training standards differ now? From, yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, they do differ, uh, and they're all subjective. Every instructor has their own. Uh, right now I don't have any, but my students uh, have to roll a lot. They do uh, low crawls. Uh, all that kind of stuff, right? Spring camp is coming up. People are going to be doing a bunch of things uh, that involve using the legs more and, and all that. But also in my class, I instituted a warrior fitness program, uh, not to be confused, confused with John Hodges' warrior fit kind of thing. Um, this was something for, uh, you know, family members and 
uh, even students or whatever, who want to do a low-impact thing to just do more physically. And so we use Boken, we use uh, all kinds of things, and you know, focus around striking and kicking and uh, stuff like that. We do a lot with squatting, uh, and we do with the Sanchin has worked into my program and all that, uh, that people have to do from a low position. So it's a low-impact kind of thing, but um, while they're not standards, it's available to students, and we highly suggest that they participate. But I don't enforce it, mm -hmm. not unless they're in my Shinobi Guy program. So, there's that. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Then I highly, highly suggest it. <laughs> so anyway, right? the old man should not be doing better than the young bucks. I mean, that's just, and I don't mean technique and being able to throw them around. I mean, you know, the older we get, the body just, you know, it, it gets weaker by nature. It's just the way it works, right? Yeah. So we have to train, you know, Chuck Norris has to, has to work out three, four times uh longer or harder than uh, than he did when he was 20 or than other 20-year-olds would have to do just to try to stay in the same kind of shape. Yeah. So, yeah. So, make, you know, look at, your, look at your situation and work things around there. Personally, I think the best things to do is just do, what, do the skills that you're trying to do. So, um, rolling itself is a great cardiovascular exercise, and it will mm. tone and sculpt your body because of what your body has to do in the rolling. Same thing with leaping, same thing with break falls, same thing with kamai practice, right? Get into kamai yeah. and drop four to six inches lower on your legs and then just practice shifting back and forth from one knee to the other. And I don't mean pitching your torso. I mean relax your torso and make your legs carry it, right? And do that back and forth, change direction, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, sitting down into seiza, standing back up, sitting down into fudoza, standing back up, those kind of things, right? Just natural things, your body will, it'll get stronger because it has to carry itself. Never underestimate body weight exercises. You know, you don't need gym stuff. You don't need to be doing fancy things. Um, just work with your own body. That way, no matter where you are and where you go, you got all the gear you need. Yeah. 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 See? Eric said it was okay. Yeah. I approve. Okay. All right. Anything else you want to throw in on this, Eric, before we wrap this stuff up and kick these people back to their lives? No, I think uh, I think that about covers it. Great questions this week. And uh, as always, keep yeah, those coming so. in because that really helps uh, helps get the show rolling with some uh, good topics. All right. And, and since there is some interest in all that, um, I think maybe we'll do uh, – there's some other folks that want to do programs that they did before. They have the recordings, but they want to do them live again. So – I've had requests to do the Ninja Mind program again, and I've got people chomping at the bit to do this instructor training program. Again, we'll probably split it out uh, and, and work these other things. So uh, keep an eye out for these. Uh, also, uh, we set the date for this year's spring uh, Ninja Camp. Uh, it's going to be May 18th, 19th, and 20th. 18th is a Friday, so it starts at like 8. We do a session from 8 to, t 8 to 10 for people that can get in early. And if you can get in early, you can jump into the classes that are going on at the dojo. Um, but uh, the main gist or the main part of training is uh, uh, 9 to 5 on Saturday and Sunday, but on Saturday night we also have a, um, uh, an evening uh, stealth training session from, what is that, 7 to 9, right? So uh, you do take dinner breaks and all that uh, or, or meal breaks, but um, it's a weekend of uh, intensive training, 
and the focus this time, uh, the, the theme for this year's camp is the arts of invisibility. And we're going to look at everything from making your technique um, invisible or unseen by the attacker um, so that he can't see what you're doing uh, until it's too late and he's already on his way to the ground, uh, all the way into stealth training. Uh, I'm going to teach you how to make uh, uh, Mitsubishi, the blinding powder, and how to use that stuff. Uh, we're going to work with uh, some of the upper-level uh, Togakure school uh, escaping rat techniques where you're literally surrounded by uh, swordsmen and uh, you need to get out of that mess. And all you have are maybe, it's maybe some blinding powders, some shuriken, something like that, right? And uh, why the movie shit is wrong. You <laughs> 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 laugh every time I see it, right? So, yeah, if you can make it in, that would be great. Um, I'm toying with the idea this time, um, and I, I know people are just looking to sit on their butt behind a computer screen and stare at things. Um, but uh, I've, I've toyed with the idea of making this, a, or experimenting with making this seminar uh, a live uh, online event as well. So people can actually oh, cool. register for the thing and then um, attend virtually. And then uh, anybody, everybody that does that, uh, whether they do that or they come into the dojo for the actual camp, uh, everybody gets the recordings uh, of the video stuff uh, after the fact. So it's almost like getting two programs in one. You get the live thing, and then you also get uh, the recording. So that'd be cool, right? That is we cool. We need to look into that because uh, uh, we may have to upgrade the, the uh, Wi-Fi and stuff here at the dojo because we played with Facebook Live, and uh, there's a lot of dropout and stuff, and I think it's because of uh, how our, our bandwidth is set and all that. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so we'll see. So if that's uh, that sounds cool or interesting to people, because um, everybody has their their reasons uh, or whatever you want to call them for not um, traveling to training, and for some reason not being able to do what I and all my peers, all the way up to the master teachers in Japan and Hatsumi Sensei, had to do to get training with our teachers, right? Everybody wants it to be easier, and everybody wants us to understand that. Well, you just don't understand, man. I mean, you know, I can't travel that far. Um, well, good thing you're not living in the 80s then. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and even if you do get the videos, are you going to, like, watch them and actually practice to the point where you have mastered everything, or is this just a intellectual exercise in ego stroking? Um, mm. And, again, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but kudos my guy for this year. So there it is. <laughs> Excellent. I'm way harder on myself than I am on my students. Way harder. <laughs> anyway. All right. That it? That Pretty is sure. it. That's it. Episode 48 in the can. One more step closer to uh, our 50. Right? So hopefully yeah, we'll be getting real close. And Definitely, feel, feel uh, free to, when you get those them. emails and stuff or you get the things on Facebook about, uh, you know, the Kuden stuff coming up and all that, share that with your group, right? I mean, just let people know yeah. that, that this thing is going on or whatever. This isn't like a membership-only kind of thing, right? Um, this is going to be as good as the group and the more people that we have that are interested in what's going on um, and, you know, that have these questions and, you know, they, they want to hear what's going on. It's, it's okay. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, on our, on our mailing list at this point, we only have, like, 34 people. We had 38 people hmm. um, register for this thing. 
but just in the last, over the last two episodes, three episodes, right? Now, it's not a lot. Four unsubscribed, okay? Hmm. Um, and that's, that's okay, right? Um, that just means that those four people, we're not their cup of tea, either for whatever reason, right? They don't think that what I'm saying is worth anything or it's not what they thought it was going to be or whatever. Um, and that's cool, right? So this is kind of a, you know, a tempering process, right? So the people that are on the, on the list are people that actually want this kind of training. So that's perfect, right? Um, and I'm okay with people jumping off. I mean, if this is not, their, if it's not your cup of tea, then okay, I'm cool with that. Right? Go find somebody that is your cup of tea. Um, but if you're focusing on self-defense, please make sure that you are, you, you have an objective uh, criteria for determining whether this person can teach you or not, and you're not just going into some place based on your own belief system. And so you're going to hook up with somebody who, um, you know, just tells you what you want to hear. Right? right? That ruins every kind of relationship: friendships, marriages, all kinds of things. Because somebody sold you a sales story, and then when you two relax, they become who they really are, and that's not who you wanted them to be. You know, you know what I'm saying? So yep. uh, just make sure. But I always wish them well, right? So I hope that they're getting what they uh, what they want to be getting, and uh, you know, it is what it is. So anyway, Eric, it was good talking to you again, my friend. Always you as well, again. sir. Hopefully, we can do this again next week, unless your schedule gets in the way again. Um, I know, stupid work. <laughs> That's all right. I've, I've had more people contact me about consulting stuff. So and I always try to work around these things. My Tuesdays and Fridays are just killer days. But, uh, yeah, we'll make it work. So, again, uh, just like Eric said, thank you for being here. If you're listening to this via recording because when we do it live, you are at work or, you know, whatever. I, I know my, my son tries to be on this thing and listen to it, but his work schedule, he's either sleeping or getting ready for work when we're doing this, so he ends up listening mm. to the recordings, which he's in Kentucky. So that's fine. Um, you know, I just thank you for being a part of, the, part of the thing. And, you know, keep the topics coming. Keep the questions coming. No question is dumb. Um, even ask questions that, that, you know, you think you already know the answer, right? Um, what can it hurt, Right. Um, I laugh at you, or Eric laughs at you. No, I bet. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, I, I used to do that with my teachers as well. I still do it, right? I'll ask a question, and, um, it, it, you know, what's the worst that will happen? Either something something gets adjusted and fixed and upgraded, so you're better at it, so it's only a little different from what it was, or you get something massively fixed, so you're not doing something dumb that will get you killed, or you find out that, yep, you were right, and you actually are at a level that you should be, right? So, And you're ready for the next lesson. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it's all good, right? Don't be afraid cool. to be wrong, right? Mistakes and being wrong is your avenue for success. The trick is to get your questions answered and your mistakes fixed in the dojo or in this kind of cyber dojo context. Get those things fixed. You don't want to. You don't want to find out that you're wrong on the street or on the battlefield, right? Because right? there is no do-over, right? It's not like the karate tournament where, well, you know, I want a rematch, man. Uh, yeah, no. Okay, unless you believe in rebirth, well, then maybe. Right? Maybe. Fighting <laughs> duck as a horse or something. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So 
right, I'm done. We, we can could, we could talk all day, so let's just finish so you can get back to your lives. All right, back to your lives, citizens. Back to your okay. lives. But, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us, and keep the great questions coming, uh, please, to the uh, Kuden page on Facebook. You can follow us there, and you can check out our T-shirt design that we're looking at uh, putting out there to kind of commemorate the upcoming 50th episode here very soon. So uh, let us know your thoughts on uh, on the design, and, and uh, thanks again for being here, and everybody stay safe. Thank you for listening to Kudan, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.